0: Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Well, we're continuing our series. We started a couple of weeks ago um, looking at questions that I've always wanted to ask God. And um, this morning, we're uh, dealing with the question Can smart people believe in God? Um, and just looking at the, the whole concept of faith versus reason and how that all works together. Um, one of the things that I'm very appreciative, even though I, I consider myself to be fairly intelligent, um, there are people who are a lot smarter than I am that have written some really, really good books. And a number of people uh, have been asking me about some of the reference books that I've, I've talked about through this series. And so I thought I'd give you just a little bit, um, five books that I really highly recommend. First is Dinesh D'Souza's book, um, What's So Great About Christianity. It's a great book that goes through um, what Christians believe and why Christianity stands apart from all other faiths, all other religions. A well-written book. Um, the Reason for God is written by a man named Tim Keller. Um, just a phenomenal brain. He's just incredibly smart. And he's actually a pastor in uh, New York City. Uh, pastors a church, mostly of young adults, in two different campuses. So he finishes in one place, and then he gets in his car, drives across town, um, and preaches at the, their other location. Um, just an, a very intelligent person and written a very good, good book um, about the reason for God. Uh, and then, of course, Christian Classic by C.S. Lewis. For those of you who don't know, C.S. Lewis was a, an avowed atheist, and he decided to investigate Christianity to prove it was wrong. And became a Christ follower because of it. And uh, wrote a number of books. But one of them, one of his um, just classics is Mere Christianity. And it's just what Christians believe. And uh, again, another excellent book. Um, John Ortberg's book, No Doubt, um, has actually been republished. Um, originally came out with the title Faith and Doubt. So you might, have, um, you might see it, but it's the same book, two different titles. Um, again, dealing with the questions that people have about God. And about faith and about Christianity and why he believes, um, and then the the latest one um, is Dallas Willard's book, one that I actually am going to be drawing on and, and so appreciative of for this uh, this Sunday's message. Um, and the title of the book is "Knowing Christ Today." And again, Dallas Willard is he is. Um, A philosophy professor at USC uh, Who also happens to be a Christ follower And has written just an excellent book Just again a brilliant man, brilliant mind Um, I've had a chance to hear him speak on a couple of occasions And uh, highly recommend those books So if you want to delve further Because we've got such limited time um, You know 25 minutes, 30 minutes on a Sunday morning There's just so much to cover And so little time to do it So um, this morning we're going to try and hit the best And try to do as best justice I can Um, But if you want further reading, these books I really, really highly recommend. So this morning's question is, can smart people believe in God? And it made me think about a story that i had heard about a Nobel physicist and uh, an NFL All-Pro. A grandfather and and a Boy Scout were all on a plane together. And um, the pilot came out of the the cabin and said, you know, the plane has terrible engine problems. It's going down. Um, You all need to bail out. He grabbed his parachute, put it on, strapped it out, and jumped out the door. And the NFL superstar said, well, you know, I'm a great athlete and the world needs great athletes and I I can't go down with this. So he grabbed his parachute, put it on, jumped it out the door. Nobel physicist said, well, I'm I'm one of the smartest men in the world. He said the world needs smart people. So he grabbed grabbed his, put it on, strapped it on, jumped out the door. There was only one parachute left. The grandfather looked at the Boy Scout. He said, you know, I've had a good long life. I've had far more experiences than you have, and, and you still have your life ahead of you. So you take the last parachute, and you go ahead and use it. And the Boy Scout said to him, don't worry about it, Gramps. Smartest guy in the world just took my backpack and jumped out of the plane. <laughs> so smart people can do some pretty dumb things. Um, but this morning, what we're going to be talking about is, is this whole idea of reason and knowledge and faith. Because there's this assumption, I think, so often that, that, that they're in conflict, that, that faith is something different than knowledge, and, and that they're really at war with each other, and they're not. In fact, they have a lot more in common than you might think. So this morning I want to talk about um, this whole idea of faith and reason. Can smart people um, believe in God? And this whole idea of knowledge and faith. And here's the first thing, is understand knowledge and faith are not mutually exclusive. They are not mutually exclusive. Because there's this mischaracterization, I think, often when people talk about faith or think about faith. That, that somehow you don't need to know anything. That, it, in fact, it can't be proven. There's not enough evidence. It's about faith, so you just got to believe. Just believe. Because, you, you know, it can't be known for sure, so you just got to believe. But we talk about it in terms of, like, it's just this it's just, just blind leap out into nowhere. As if you were jumping out a third-story window, you know? Um, doesn't make any sense, but you just believe, you know, you take this leap of faith or, or you jump off the ledge, you know, in the, in the middle of the Alps, you just, you know, make this blind leap of faith. And very often when we talk about faith and people talk about faith, they think about it in terms of this blind leap of faith without any reason behind it, without any thought behind it. And, and that faith is completely different than knowledge and they're not mutually exclusive. In fact, the biblical concept of faith comes from knowledge. We are urged over and over and over again in Scripture to know that faith and knowledge are not at war with each other. In fact, we are urged to pursue knowledge, that knowledge is what will lead you to faith. Proverbs 2, verse 32, says 23 says, Call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. He says, faith is not completely devoid of knowledge. In fact, cry out for knowledge, pursue knowledge, know as much as you can because knowledge will lead you to faith in God. Peter wrote about it. He said, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness. He says, to grow in your faith, you need to know. You need to study, pursue knowledge. Don't just, you know, blindly but faith. He says, add to your faith. Add to your faith knowledge. Knowledge will lead you to godliness. He says, the whole key to growing in your faith and and maturing spiritually is knowledge. So pursue knowledge. Knowledge is not the enemy of faith. And you don't need to be afraid to ask the hard questions. You don't need to be afraid to do investigation. You don't need to be afraid of doing study because somehow it's going to disprove your faith. Faith depends on knowledge. In fact, he finishes up that letter. He says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That faith and knowledge are connected. They are not the opposite. Faith is not opposed to knowledge. It is not irrational. It is not just mere belief. It's not just a blind leap. Now, it is possible, it is possible to believe things that are not true. People do it all the time, superstitions. It's believing something that really isn't true. Um, My wife's grandmother, she had um, a superstition. She grew up in the South. She had all kinds of superstitions. But this one in particular was that you don't do wash, you don't do laundry on New Year's Day. In fact, she would actually send out a card to everybody as we approached New Year's Day and say, just a reminder, old family tradition. She never said it was a superstition. Old family tradition, we don't do wash on New Year's Day. The reason was, is the belief was, if you did laundry on New Year's Day, that year somebody in your family was going to die. And actually, when my wife and I were dating, she was rinsing out her pantyhose in the sink, and her grandmother walked by, and, ah! and now my wife was just was so afraid. If somebody died in their family that year, she was going to get blamed for it, you know? I mean, we, there is superstition. There, we do believe things that are not true. That's a possibility, yes. The other side of that is we sometimes choose not to believe things that we know are true. People do it all the time. They buy lottery tickets. You know you're not going to win, but you buy the lottery ticket anyway. That is, that is choosing not to believe what you know to be true. In fact, in fact, as the pot builds up, everybody says, well, now's the time to jump in. No, no, no. Reason? When it built up, it meant there's a lot more people. Your chances have just gone down dramatically. We know that. We choose not to believe it. Biblical faith is something altogether different. It is something that is built on understanding. It is something that is built on knowledge. Dallas Willard puts it this way. Faith is an act of the will. It's a commitment to act on what I understand to be true. That I understand something to make this decision. To jump out of a third-story window is highly irrational. However, if the building is on fire and it is engulfed in flames, except for that room that you happen to be in, and the stairwell is filled with flames, and the elevators are not working, then jumping out of a third-story window, if there is a net below you with firemen, is a good option. It's not irrational. It's probably the most rational thing you could do, given those circumstances. If you are standing on the ledge of an alpine mountain, in the middle of a blizzard, and you have zero visibility and you, you're in danger of dying of hypothermia. And you hear a voice down below you saying, don't be afraid. This ledge is only 10 feet tall. And in fact, just 10 feet below you, there is a huge snowbank. If you jump, you will land softly in this snow. Well, if you recognize that voice and you know what your options are, that you are in danger of death, then that's a good option. See, faith is not just a blind leap. It is based on knowledge. It is based on what I understand. And if I understand my predicament without God, if I understand what what, what the nature is of where I am at and what hope there is for me or lack thereof, then faith becomes a very good, sane, rational option. So they're not complete opposites. Faith takes some knowledge. It takes a level of understanding. They are not mutually exclusive. Another thing you need to understand, it's another point, is that not all knowledge is discoverable by the scientific method. Now, science is great. Science provides us all kinds of knowledge. But not all knowledge comes from the scientific method. Some people sometimes claim that science has now disproved the need for God or religion. There was fine back when we didn't know any but any better, when we didn't understand how things worked. Before we began to investigate and learn and have this knowledge, back then religion was fine. It explained a lot of things. God was belief in God was okay because it explained. But now that we know better, there's really no need for religion. There's no need for faith. There's no need for God because we know now. The trouble is that science is very very limited. It is good for what it does, but any honest scientist will tell you. Science is simply the business of asking questions, formulating hypotheses, putting them to proof to come at theories that will be acceptable to be truth. But science is more in the business of asking the questions and looking for answers than proving things. And it is very, very limited. Sometimes people make that and That claim, and they point to things like, um, like Galileo's experience with the church when he put forth the idea and promoted the idea that, that the earth was not the center of the universe. That, in fact, there was a solar system that rotated around the sun, and the sun was the center of the solar system. And he got all kinds of opposition from that. And a lot of that opposition came from the church. But understand... Galileo's argument wasn't with just the church. it was against known knowledge and unacceptable, accepted knowledge of its time. The church opposed him, but so did everybody else. So it wasn't that he was disproving. The church. Yes, the church made some mistakes, and the church has made mistakes. When the church tramples into areas that is not its expertise, it gets in trouble. When the church begins to say that the Bible's a scientific record, it's not. It was never intended to be that. But when 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 science says no 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 science is all we need now, that's not true either. They make the same very same mistake as the church did when it tried to be its scientists. They're not mutually exclusive, but understand, not all knowledge comes by the scientific method. Science has its limitations. It cannot account for everything. And it is dangerous when we put all of our hopes simply in knowledge. Knowledge is necessary, but if knowledge is all that we pursue, there are some dangers in that. Scripture talks about that. 1 Corinthians 8 says, We all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not know yet as they ought to know. What he's saying is knowledge is good. But understand, knowledge by itself tends to lead towards pride and arrogance. It, It puffs you up but it doesn't do what really needs to be happening, which is love, which builds up. Paul wrote about it to the Roman church. He said, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but in their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools because knowledge alone is never enough for the human soul. Knowledge answers a lot of questions. But I mean solid science answers a lot of questions, but it does not answer the great questions of life. Why am I here? What is my purpose? How ought I to live? See, those two are questions of life that science cannot answer. Those are important questions. Science can answer a lot of questions, can't answer those questions. It's not its venue. And those big questions are the questions of life. Those are the questions where we live. Science cannot explain that. Science has no answer for it because it's not its attempt to do that. It doesn't exist for that. That needs to be answered by a different set of knowledge, a different body of knowledge. See, science has become very, very good at tracking, even tracking how the brain operates. It can be scanned and the brain can can show you neural pathways. Um, Science can show you um, how a thought goes and what parts of the brain do certain things. And and science can do all that, can map it and can put it out there and, and explain how it all works. But science cannot tell you what the thought was that person had. It can tell you how it operated, how it went through the brain. But cannot tell you what that thought was. It's the person that needs to tell you what the thought was so it can be tracked. Because science is limited. Science cannot account for the person. And that's part of the big questions of life. Science cannot explain why we love, why we care, why things matter. Because you see, if we are nothing more than a collection of molecules, if we are nothing more than highly evolved carbon life forms, If our brains are nothing more than electrochemical impulses, then why do we care? Why do we care about people? How do we love? If it's just, then why does it matter? I was thinking about that as we were praying and talking about baby dedications this Sunday. Why do parents care about their child? Why do they give up a big part of their life to raise a child and invest in a life because if it, all it is is a carbon life form that operates on electrochemical impulses, why, why bother? Why do we care? Because there is something to it that is more than just what science can explain. There is more to life than just rationality. We need to be rational. We need knowledge. But there is more to life than just that. And a final observation that real faith does require knowledge. They are not enemies. Real faith requires knowledge. You cannot be a Christ follower and check your brain at the door. To to follow Christ, you have got to use your brains. You have got to think. Thinking is what leads us to faith. Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. Tim Keller puts it this way. Believers look at the visible world and say, What is seen, what I can see, is not self-explanatory. The Christ followers look at creation and say, The order of the universe cries out, for someone who has cre- created that order. Science can say that, that mathematics, that, that, that all of creation, all of you universe, operates in mathematical form, but cannot explain why it does that. And a Christ follower takes what they can see and says there is something more that doesn't answer all the questions. The uniformity of nature suggests there's got to be something more. And a Christ follower chooses to say there is a creator God. Who made it that way? Because, see, what you believe becomes your worldview. And everybody has one. Everybody has a worldview. Whether you've thought about it or not, whether you have mapped it out clearly or not, everyone in this room has a worldview. Your worldview is what is, is, is your, your mental map, if it were, um, your mental map of the way things are. It's the way that you perceive reality. And everybody's got that. Whether you've thought it through or not, everybody has this worldview. For instance, I'll give you an example. Um, if you are a Mac user, you have a certain worldview. You believe in excellence and quality and <laughs> elegance. You love seamless integration. That's your worldview. If you're a PC user, okay, maybe not everybody has a worldview. I don't you know. <laughs> Oh. But you see, if you are a Mac user, you will never use a PC. If you are a dedicated Mac user, you don't see any point in Windows. See? Because that's your worldview. Now, if you are a PC user, you will never go over to the Mac side. Because you are convinced, as deluded as you are, <laughs> that what you're working on is, is the best thing possible. And and I believe someday you will step into the light, because I believe in a God of miracles. <laughs> but for now, that is your worldview. Okay? All right, a little bit of fun there. But the truth is, we all have a worldview. And your worldview is how you look at life, it's how you perceive reality, and it dictates how you will go through life. And we all need that. And what our faith does is it gives us a worldview. It helps us understand why things are the way they are. And the reason I am a Christ follower is I believe that Jesus Christ gave the best explanation for the way things are. Because Jesus Christ talked about the depravity of man, that the heart is deceitful and wicked. But he also talked about the dignity of humanity. And that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That Jesus gives an explanation for why this world is so beautifully created and so incredibly um, marvelous and, and why humans function the way that they do. And yet he also gives a good explanation as to why things go bad and why men do evil. Because he says we are created perfect in God's image. But something has gone terribly wrong. And I believe that Jesus provides the best explanation for why things are the way that they are. And not only that, but he gives the solution to the problem. Because every other religion will tell you, you've got to work it out. You've got to do good. You've got to be better. That you've got to... Beat, beat the scales. you got to do more good than bad in your life. Or if you're a pantheist, it's karma. you got to pay. you got to pay. you got to pay. <laughs> but Jesus says, no, there's no amount of pain you can do. See, only Jesus offers this gift of grace and forgiveness. And though he offers it freely, it was not without a price. He paid the dearest price for it. And I believe Jesus offers the best explanation for why things are the way that they are. And he offers the best solution. Because I can never be good enough, and neither can you. We needed someone to do it for us. And if the answer, if all of our problem was just knowledge, then God could have just given us a book. He could have just given us a bunch of really good teachers. But we need more than knowledge. What we needed was life. And that's why God himself took on human form and took on life on our terms. And then he offered his life on a cross in payment for your sin and for mine. And was buried in a grave and rose again to new life with the power to transform your life and mine. And then as a gift, he turns around and he says, this is the life God wants for you. Because you see, in the Bible, very often, Knowledge is not just about information. Knowledge is about relationship. Jesus himself said these words. This is eternal life. That they know you. Know you, the one true God. Not information about you. They know you, the one true God. And your son, Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. You said, that's life. That's the knowledge that we need, that he came and lived life on our terms, and then he offered up that life in payment for our sin, and then rose again to a new life to provide that life for you and for me. And I believe that is the best explanation for the way things are, and the best answer to the dilemma we find ourselves in. Would you bow your heads with me?